Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bunmy Chronicles podcast. This is your host and creator of this podcast, Randy Kim. We have finally approached the season five finale on the theme, Art Becoming, an LGBTQ Asian Experience. I am so honored to have my friend Joshua Wynn to close out season five. I have been following his work for over a year, and I'm a huge fan of his poetry. Though on occasion, I do troll him about his Houston Rockets team and my personal disdain for James Harden. Joshua is fresh off from his mini chapbook debut, An American Lookbot for My Mother, that was released this past spring. He is now set to release his full-length poetry debut book, Come Clean, this October, which explores issues of sexual and intergenerational trauma, personal identity, among others. I talked to Joshua about his poetry and his anticipation of releasing his debut poetry collection. We talked about his own recent journey exploring his sexual identity and what that means to him. I did spend some time poking fun at his Houston Rockets team, a team that he lives and leads for, but most of it was towards ex-Rocket James Harden. I hope you enjoyed the season five finale. Visit Joshua on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua, N-G-U-Y-E-N-03. And don't forget to pre-order your copy of Come Clean. Right, so today I am with Joshua Wynn. So Joshua is a queer Vietnamese American writer, a collegiate national poetry slam champion, and a native Estonian. He is the author of the chapbook American Lookbot for My Mother, and has received fellowships from Kundiman, Tin House, Sundress, Academy for the Arts, and the Vermont Studio Center. He has been published in the Offing, Wildness, American Poetry Review, the Texas Review, Auburn Avenue, Crab Orchard Review, and Gulf Coast Magazine. He has been also featured on both the Versus podcast and Tracy K. Smith, The Slowdown. He is a bubble tea connoisseur and works in the kitchen. His debut poetry collection, Come Clean, which will come out this October 5th. Uh, Come Clean was the winner of the 2021 Felix Polak Prize in Poetry. Joshua is a PhD student at the University of Mississippi, where he also received his MFA. So I want to say that uh, we connected back in early 2020 online, and I first mm-hmm. learned about your work through Diacritics, which uh, I remember Shout being out. yeah, I remember <laughs> being featured on there, and also yeah, it was also uh, where Viet Thanh Nguyen is the founder of Diacritics, and I gotta say I really admire the work that you've been doing. I've been following your work vicariously. Uh, since then and really enjoy uh the work that you shared through your art and i want to say thank you so much for being on my show and i want to say uh thank you for you know uh continuing this uh, work we're seeing the emerging crop of vietnamese and southeast asian writers mm-hmm. who are now telling their stories uh and now making it accessible to our community and to everyone across the world and across the places of the diaspora. And so Joshua, how have you been doing? And before I begin, I also just want to say condolences to the Houston Rockets of this <laughs> season. Oh my gosh. I, I <laughs> Sorry, I had to do Houston it. But you... Rockets slant. I mean, I got to do it for them. <laughs> Sorry, but I, I got to One say... time for the recording. <laughs> we have but to I record say... for sure the Houston Rockets slanders for like the, for the, for the world. I'll, I'll be, I'll be nice. I mean, the record, <laughs> the record don't lie, but record doesn't lie. But I will say that you did get the second pick of the draft. Mm-hmm. I think that's a consolation. And I'll just say that James Harden leaving the Houston Rockets is a blessing in disguise because I'm not a Harden fan. Right. But I think it's a blessing in disguise. I think it's a favor to the franchise to get a real NBA player who's not going to <laughs> monopolize the ball 75% of the time and shoot 23 pointers. 
But anyways, sorry Which, about It's that. Vegas numbers. You do high-risk, high-reward numbers, you know? Yeah, they sure didn't work in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Suck. Yeah. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm a very bitter Chicago sports fan for quite a while. And mm-hmm. so I've seen the Bows fall into mediocrity, less than mediocrity since, I don't know, the end of the 90s, since I was like 15 years old. And I... I'm just so bitter that all I do is just troll other people, troll <laughs> other fans, just because I, just because the we old feel better for you. <laughs> oh right, and and the White Sox is the, the only shining hope for me. Maybe the Bears, but I'm not. But I've been let down way too many times. So. Oh, did, what what pick did the Bulls get by the way in this draft? Um, they don't have a pick because they Dang. used it on Vucevic, but just fine Dang. because they, well, they can't pick anybody right in the top ten. So. Hmm. I mean, but hey, you know, but anyways, <laughs> enough of my uh, trolling of the Houston Rockets. I'm really sorry about that. Um, this is going to be like uh, shown visually. I would have put out like eight, all eight of my Rockets jerseys right now from the closet. It, it won't to... be. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I won't do it. That's a lot of energy. But, <laughs> but I was anyways. on another podcast. I was on another podcast where um, they were from San Antonio and they were like making fun. They were making fun of the Rockets and I pulled out like all my jerseys. Oh, man. Um, Wow. I mean, I got love for the Spurs, too. I do. Me too. No, me too. And I, oh, and I got a little love for the Mavs as well, too, because I do think Doncic is very cute, but he's okay. a charmer. Yeah, I got to stop, stop hitting on these European white players. <laughs> but anyways, before I uh, continue to like fall into this weird rabbit hole, but like, but how have you been in terms of of where you are with releasing the American Look Back from My Mother, because you released that chat, Michael Chat book back mm-hmm. in late spring, and now you're on your way to release uh, Come Clean, which, we'll, which we will talk a little bit more on. But I want to know how have you been since releasing uh, the uh, the chat book? And I got to say, I really do enjoy the poems out of this, uh, of this collection. Yeah, I think it was cool because, you know, I grew up, um in houston with like the houston youth poetry scene and like my coaches and just like um all the people i could i communicate with like within the poetry world was really into like usually hip-hop as well so it's kind of cool to see that like my little micro chapbook was released it feels like a mixtape honestly mm-hmm. um and i like i love like this is like the perfect size for these poems these are very specific poems and they all like kind of fall under like one like under the steps of the recipe right to make tikka um and like my friend julian always talks about like if like why why chat book like why would you do like what's the reasoning behind the chat book versus like a full-length book i think the micro chat book format worked perfectly for american book for my mother because it was so concise about focusing on the Lukbat and focusing on the mother uh, speaker relationship and on like recipes that like it felt like um, a little like comforting secret recipe love letter. Um, so I'm really excited. I was really happy uh, when it was released and I think um, it's been cool to talk about the Lukbat especially um, in that in that a poetic form but then like, i was thinking about uh coming come clean coming out in october 
um i'm thinking about like expectations because like i know that some people who've read the the micro chat book they're like oh we write very like loving yes I, I feel all the love in these poems and stuff and we write about food so well which is like a, a common like thing you hear with like i think asian american poetics so i'm kind of excited and nervously to like see them read come clean that's gonna be a total 180 from this micro chat book because come clean mm -hmm. is kind of darker kind of more way, way more sad hmm. um and it has some of these poems in the the full length has some of the poems from the micro chat book but i'm kind of nervous to see like how people um just kind of take in the idea of my kind of debut collection I'm, i think i put way more uh worry and nerves on it than other people are doing because hmm. i just don't want to disappoint my honest my friends and mentors um but yeah, it's also been cool because this is the same year I've been exploring like my own relationship with queerness. And like right when the when the chapbook was coming out, I had to think about the the back of the back of the book and the bio. And right now it's like in the micro chapbook says bisexual Vietnamese American writer. Mm. It's very interesting because two months prior to this being released, it was like ace, it was demisexual Vietnamese American writer. And I think on my and for my full length is probably going to say queer Vietnamese American writer. So I'm seeing like the same year that like I'm publishing things and like my bio is being read. I'm also like exploring my queerness and how fluid it is and how I'm learning new things and that's changing my perception of what I what I'm trying to figure out is my my own identity. Mm. I also think that like, oftentimes when we write and the way you write too it comes from a place of vulnerability. And so in that vulnerability, you're also having to discover these, these experiences, these feelings that you have in your own relationship with queerness and what does it look like? What, mm -hmm. what, what are your feelings and can it be defined um, into, right. and, and sometimes writing can help at least lead you into that or lean into that. Um, when I read American Look Bad for my mother, when I think of 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 like reading into your poems i see that food is very central into mm -hmm. this theme uh why is food so strongly connected to your relationship with your family and also in your own upbringing what is it about um what is it about that uh center of food that really that really draws attention to your experiences um one i think it's because I think I, I learned somewhere that like, I think it was one professor, I think it was Ann Fisherworth, like smell. The the sense of smell is so powerful and so intimate because the the only way you can like get that smell is if it has to enter your body. Like the particles have to physically enter your body first and then you have it inside your body and then you can smell it again. Mm -hmm. So like the, the idea of, the sense of smell is so intimate. I think that's partly why um, I'm drawn to it is because it is so intimate. And I think I think back to like memories of like childhood and like being a quiet kid and being shy, there was a lot of silence like just at home or like at the dinner table or yeah, at the dinner table like conversation wise, but there was always like the noise of like um, the popping of like the rice cooker or like chopsticks being moved around or just like really loud 
obnoxious smacking of food, <laughs> um, like the hissing from like eating, like just biting it. My dad like bites chili peppers and it's like the hissing from that. Um, so I think it helps with memory. I think it grounds it grounds a lot of the speak grounds the speaker and the characters I write about. Um, it helps create like a whole world. And I think personally, it also it's like an I mean, in the chapbook, it's honestly an homage to like my mother's cooking and like what she's taught me. Mm. Um, like before I went to like, before I went to um, grad school, the one of the first things I did was I asked my mother to like write down all the recipes she's ever done for me. And she couldn't do it. Cause like, you know, you, don't write, you know, you know, we don't write recipes down um, in the Asian family. So I just like watched her cook. I wrote down the notes myself and that was a very like cool thing to do. Um, but yeah, but honestly, like, I'm glad I wrote this micro chat book and I wrote these poems that dealt with food. I'm also very aware of like how food is very prevalent in Asian American poetics. I think a lot of Asian, Asian American po other writers do it so well. And I'm glad I'm a part of that, but I'm also trying to subvert, subvert it. Um, I think in Come Clean, I try to subvert this idea of like food in Asian American poetics more by thinking about like the labor of it. Cause I think, mm -hmm. I think food and poetics can be romanticized a lot. Yeah. I'm trying now to write the unromanticized version, like the mm -hmm. labor of it and like the hard work and like maybe in like the, uh, even in my family, like how hard like my mother worked to like make breakfast, lunch and dinner for like a family of five. Mm. So. Mm. I think it's a it's interesting because when we think of we have this this nostalgia right we think of mm -hmm. our grandma's cooking we think of the generational tradition and this fear of losing it too which isn't always the most romanticized it's also sad it's also mm -hmm. this loss and I, I think about it very often too because as my mom is aging mm -hmm. I wonder am I able to recreate that magic if she's gone right. what would that look like because a person can a person that's close to you may be gone but also what's gone is the other parts that mm -hmm. were your everyday life you know her cooking uh her making your bed i mean the little things start to evoke these powerful memories that can't be replaced and and i think that you know food has this this relationship this connection but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think talking about the unromanticized parts of it is, uh, is also thinking about the consequences of what food can do. Like, you know, when you're, when you're a mother of five, in this case, having to cook meals okay. and, and maybe going into school, realizing that the food wasn't isn't accessible or acceptable among your peers and you're right. forcing yourself to adopt American culture rather than your family's culture and that's like the the first consequences of losing your native uh, or your family's uh, cultural uh, connection. Yeah. I'm constantly I'm, I feel like I'm constantly trying to fill in the language barrier thing because I can't speak I can't speak Vietnamese very well I can understand mm -hmm. it okay but like so I think um, writing about yeah I think food is one way to try to fill, recipes is one way to fill in that language barrier it's like okay, I may not like be able to teach, I may not be able to teach this to, if I do have kids to my kids, but then I can teach them these recipes at least and that'll be passed down. And 
Uh, same thing with like the micro chat book and like the American Loop platform. That like that form was just a way for me to try to fill in this gap I'll always have because of the language barrier. Yeah, I would like to at least read one of your poems. Um, so this poem is called Add Pepper to Taste the Dark. So it begins with, be smoke stuck between your teeth like French kissing a wreath made of your favorite colonizers. <laughs> Grind into fine sprinkles, ash like a sprained ankle, black stone reflecting a new zone in the galaxy. Home in space filled with dark matter, taste of salt only comes from the stars. But stars are finicky. Are you into bright or are you into infinite? Then come to the dark side. Be the muse that gets stuck between loose white teeth, a save for later treat. It's so cool hearing someone else read that. <laughs> that, was, that was a good reading. Thank you. And I, I, hearing you read that, I remember how excited I was when I wrote that first stanza. <laughs> I like that stanza a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like this defiant, you know, this, yeah. especially when you see the word colonizer. It's like, yeah, this, that, that word alone draws my attention. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know what was the genesis in creating that particular poem. I think for that poem, um, let me look at it. I think I was, it, I honestly, I so I wrote that paragraph. I wrote that stanza, the first stanza. I was like, okay, I have the stanza. I love the stanza. I love the idea of like being defiant against like colonizers, and like I was like referencing like the French colonization of Vietnam. Like, all oh, right, I have all these like uh, things happening in this poem. I think the rest. I think the rest came from this idea of, I mean, one, the title comes from one of the steps of Tipka, which is just adding pepper. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote this, I think I, when I initially wrote this, I was thinking about like what world, like what world um, what you can create with like yourself when thinking about like the food you the food you can create with yourself so that's kind of like why I went to this idea of like space and like home mm -hmm. um because I wanted to talk about like this idea of like yeah like how do you create your own world from in your own how do you like re, like enact your own culture if like you're far away um I think there are there is some distance in this poem when we come from like are you into briar into infinite um, there's like this idea of like, there's some distance between the speaker and like how they, how they see themselves. And at this point they're seeing themselves as like pepper. Um, but I, a lot of these poems, um, have declarations, right? Be smoke, grind into, um, be the muse. So yeah, this is like a, here the speaker is trying to, yeah, remind you wherever you are to, be defiant, whether it's in the face of colonizers or in the face of distance, whether like, even if it's like a space distance. Um, yeah, I think I was trying, and I, I think the last stanza bookends the first, like be the muse stuck between loose white teeth, like the white teeth being like referencing like white colonizers again. Mm. Um, so there's it's complicated, right? Because then does that mean that you like the gaps? Do you think the gaps is like represent this like distance or this void? Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's nuanced because then 
if you're the muse but you're stuck between white teeth that means like are you being consumed are you doing the consuming right so that's what i was thinking about <laughs> yeah no it's wonderful and now now educate the speakers what does lookbot mean the lookbot is a traditional vietnamese poetic form and basically it's in lines of six, six. So in Vietnamese, it's six words, eight words, six words, eight words, six words, eight words. And then the sixth word of the six word line rhymes with the sixth word of the eight word line. And then the eighth word of the eight word line rhymes with the next sixth word of the six word line, and so on and so forth. Um, and usually, Luke bots traditionally are written about like womanhood or warrior culture. Or like some journey, um, and they, there's also a pattern dealing with the tones of the Vietnamese language, which I don't know at the top of my head. But there's like a repeated pattern based off like um, uh, of the Vietnamese tones. So that's what the lukbat is, and it's usually for like long, epic poems. Long, and I learned about it because my parents were talking to me while we were eating seven course beef in houston's asia town mm -hmm. and they were just talking about like oh wow like when i was growing up we read a lot of luke bots i'm like what is this and they would they explained it to me and then my dad was like yeah like i and i read like some of my books are in luke bots because he reads at the dinner table mm. like, oh my gosh like this whole time like you know, I had no idea they like studied this form growing up. And it was like the first time I had a, a, like, a lengthy conversation about like poetics with my parents. Mm. And because of that, I was like, oh, I got to learn about this and see if there's any contemporary versions. And there wasn't any contemporary versions really. And then that's when I decided to like, to create the American Lukbot and like to adopt the form to conform it to the English language. And because English is poly polysyllabic, it's like the same, kind of the same, just like six syllable line, eight syllable line, six syllable line, eight syllable line. But because you have polysyllabic words, now there's more internal rhymes, so it's more hidden. Mm -hmm. um, it can create like momentum as the poem goes down the page. Um, I don't, and then plus since English uh, isn't tonal, I don't have to worry about the tonal, um, the tonal pattern. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. the Lukebot and the American Lukebot. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, I think oftentimes when you take in this Vietnamese form and you turn it into the English language, did you feel the intimidation of having to take this, this Vietnamese language, this art form, and turn it into something that you can only, that something that you can only know? And was it as was it a challenge? Was it something that you were always thinking about, I hope that other Vietnamese folks, Vietnamese speaking folks aren't going to feel very upset about it. Did you feel that kind of intimidation? Oh yeah, I feel, that, I feel it today. <laughs> mm. I thought about that this whole, the whole time. Um, yeah, like I, I think, of, I, I remember when I first started doing it, someone who I kind of like, who I like, I, I should, I kind of looked up to was like, I don't know if you should do this. I don't know if it will work. And I was like, aha. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, why well, really want to like, I want to connect this, like, again, talking about filling the language barrier. I want to somehow connect to this Vietnamese history that like, I, I know, like, very little about and this, like, Vietnamese poetics. And 
So I guess in ignorance, I kept going with it and I wanted to like highlight like the, the Vietnamese poetics um, and like my contemporary age. Um, so this was like, and you know, it's a very, and I think about how like it's a very Asian American thing I did. Like I tried, I, I, I took this like very traditional form and then I kind of, and I, I appropriate it into to the English language that I could speak. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely evident. Uh, that's why I wrote that. There's another poem in the, in the micro chat book called a failed American Lookout response. And that's mm -hmm. literally like just my uh, tug and pull, like internal thoughts about even like writing this form and creating this form and like the, hes the hesitancy and like whether I did it, if it's right or, or wrong. And um, yeah, and I, and I even think that like putting American in the, <laughs> putting American in the form was like a very like, it was like a very, it was a thing I was hesitant on because I was like, oh, you know, Terrence Hayes did American Sonnets. So I would just do American Lukbot. And then I, I saw like a thread by Chen Chen about like the idea of American hmm. like form names. I was like, Ugh. and I was like, is this like, yeah, like it's, it feels like an act of violence. Like, cause American holds so much, like hmm. there's so much violence in its history, especially like regards like US Vietnam, um dynamics so, like even putting american in uh a form name next to like two vietnamese words was like a very like um very very uh interesting move from my part and i'm still like i'm still grappling with it till today um i also think that diaspora has its own language right mm -hmm. i mean we are of the diaspora we struggle with carrying the fragments of our family's language and our understanding of its history. And then the history that we're taught in America up to this point, we're not getting the full version of it. We're just starting to uncover mm -hmm. the, the ugliness of American history as we speak. So I think like in a way, you're writing something that comes from a very honest place, but also from a place that's, that's also fragmented. You're mm -hmm. speaking the, you're speaking a diaspora language, right? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't it's, think it's not a bad thing. It's the truthful. Yeah. It's the experience. hyphen in Asian Americans that, like, I'm writing that right. hyphen. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the uh, the authentic experiences of of what we grapple with and what we are clinging on to, whatever scraps that we have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like grabbing a gra grabbing a handful of sand and trying to like uh, hold on to it. Mm -hmm. and finding the nearest uh, bucket to dump it into. <laughs> yeah. What's that dish, uh, gom tam? Oh, yes. Like, the, I learned recently how, like, broken rice was because, like, people would fuck up people's villages and, like, take the rice, and all that was left is the broken rice, and that's how that mm. dish was made. It's like, you know, I don't know why. I, I, I just thought about that. It's like the idea of, like, you hold on to what you know, and then you learn the history of it, and then, like, you still have to hold on to what you know, and you hold on to new knowledge of what you know and like it keeps going yeah and also um i know that you are currently working on releasing come clean which you you know shared a, li a little bit earlier about so what was the genesis in creating come clean and what and and from the direction that you're taking from this chapbook to this one 
why did you feel compelled to take on take on this um these experiences that you want to share what's behind the motive in writing this yeah come clean it feels you know it's it's my debut collection it feels very debut in the fact that like it kind of follows um just like it follows like the chronological memories of a speaker from like birth to like adulthood and all the violences that occur throughout that those memories um i think come clean deals a lot with um violence particularly in the form of like um sexual violence uh, as a child um and it's like those that's a very you know that's a very dark thing to touch on to touch upon so that's one of like, the themes and this idea of how to like how to um personally uh compartmentalize those like those memories and how to heal from that if that's possible so and so the reason why it's called come clean is because the, there's a huge huge theme of like the quotidian and the domestic and like mm -hmm. the idea of being a male presenting body within these like very domestic spaces. Um, so there's a lot of poems that deal with like cleaning, cooking, eating, um, doing laundry, you know? So like in how, you know, we're talking about how like food holds so much memory and so much like, um, so much of like seeds like ground someone in i'm trying to do the same thing with like these domestic acts of like of, of these quotidian acts and how they can like help or amplify memory or they can help or amplify like emotions associated with um with memory um and like it starts off like very you know it starts off there, there's a push and pull with throughout the book of like messiness whether messiness in the form of like emotional messiness or even how it looks on the page and then there are poems that deal with like clean cleanliness and how it might look very clean on the page too and then there's like the tension of like oh you're talking about very messed up messy things but in a clean form and there's that tension too um so yeah and i, I that, that this was all inspired by like reading Marie Kondo and listening to Mitski. Mm -hmm. um, those are huge influences on this book, Marie Kondo and Mitski, because they both like, I mean, Marie Kondo kind of obviously, but Mitski, I think in her lyrics talks about like uh, a lot of quotidian domestic stuff. Mm. And that kind of inspired me to think about my own, my like my own ideas of memory and how like the domestic can, can uh, be like the, the centering or like the foreground for the memory. Mm. I, when I was thinking about Maria Kondo, it's kind of <laughs> a funny story. Actually, uh, one of my friends showed me like, oh, here's your doppelganger. And I was like, and I look at this dude and I was like, that's Maria Kondo's husband. And I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, never seen I, them. because the, f the funny part is I wear a fedora too sometimes oh. like every now and then i mean yeah. that was like that was my 2012 look but bring it back I was, yeah <laughs> I, 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 oh trust me i got well i got janet jackson's fedoras now so <laughs> got them in but like but yeah i was i thought it was just funny because like my friend's like oh my god that looks like you and i was like 
dang, it kind of does. And I was like kind of showing it to folks and they're like, I thought it was you all along, except that there's two little girls and they're like, they're not your daughters, right? So, <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, but not to, um, to stray away here, but when you, when you were talking about like confronting sexual trauma in this upcoming book, what was your own feelings as you were writing about or confronting these past traumas? And I, I cannot imagine like when you have to put words in, mm -hmm. when you have to relive these very difficult uh, moments in your life, what was that process like for you? And what did you discover into your writing as you were going through those uh, parts of your journey that was very unpleasant? Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, the like, you know, I, you know, you can write about, you know, there is like the, the author and then there's the author and then there's like the speaker. I think me, the author, I was thinking about particular, you know, uh, tragic memories that kind of like went by the, by the wayside. Like, no, you know, I didn't talk about it. No one wanted to talk about it, which, you know, mm -hmm. happens a lot. I think in, uh, you know, one, in Asian American communities. And then I was also in like youth poetry communities. Um, so I don't know, I, I think it, I had to think about them for a long time because they were so fragmented. And I was always doubting myself, like, did, did this really happen? Am I overreacting? Is this messed up? Like, mm -hmm. um, but then I started thinking about like the age differences that happened between like, you know, I think about the age differences and like the I, the con whether consent was involved and like the power dynamics and I'm like oh wow these are really fucked up things that like mm. if I saw this happening I would I would call this out you know so then uh, when I was writing the poems and I was thinking about like you know thinking about like processing my own memories I was purposefully like. I knew that like, you know, I'm still not ready to like talk about certain things or to write about certain things. So that's why like a lot of the stuff in the poems are like, like names are changed or like locations are changed, like simple stuff like that. That way, um, because I, I changed some of the names and some of the locations, I create distance between me, the author and like the speaker of the poem. And that way I can, I can write about it and feel like um i can i can like write it with some distance um because if i couldn't have distance when writing it i wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to do it because it was too like raw and too like in my face and too like in my body mm -hmm. um so yeah you know uh so that when i figured out that was the move like if i could do that then i could write it then i was like oh this is it this is how i can do it and then when i thought about the idea of like the quotidian and like the, the domestic and Marie Kondo, like this is like this is my avenue into writing this this like this this project idea um because like i didn't think of i really couldn't write um the very like tragic poems about sexual assault until i had the idea of like come clean because then i could i could toy with the idea of like messy and clean and all and all like the all the memories have like some sort of like domestic or quotidian aspect to them. 
Um, and yeah, and then uh, after a while, I I wrote a lot of them all at once because then I you know I was just like I couldn't like live I couldn't like if I spent like a whole like six months writing them I'd be exhausting so mm -hmm. I kind of went all at once just get like rip a bandaid off and then yeah did you feel supported um, by folks or by like people in your life when you were going through these traumas and also into your writing when you were taking the initiative to to do this. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people, a lot of people don't know about them and a lot of people have never read the poems. <laughs> so like my part, like my girlfriend's read the poems and I'm sure, I mean, I guess my editor has, but not a lot, a lot of the poems I've kept close to my, to, to myself because uh, I don't know, like it's, it's hard, they're hard to read personally. And I think, mm -hmm. I think I'm, pre I'm preparing myself because I'll eventually be going on a book tour, I'm preparing myself to read them and to maybe like um, you ask questions about it in the Q and A. Um, so now I'm I'm like I'm I'm like I'm get, I'm ready to like read them and like to release them mm. um, out into the world because I do think you know uh, they do serve purposes like cathartically for me like it's cathartic and then to like maybe it will help like someone who reads them to help them connect can i do like write from a male presenting speaker in the in this collection i do want to like talk about like highlight the idea of like um people who are who identify as male can be like assaulted as well um and like can go through these like very sad sad things um so yeah not a lot of people have read them and that was kind of a purposeful choice, but I think once when like October rolls around, I'll I'll, I'll, be, I'll be ready to read yeah. them. And I hope that you are in a good place to to do it, and also giving yourself grace, especially mm -hmm. when you're doing these book tours. I cannot imagine having to be confronted to read and then to be asked questions, and mm -hmm. and also I think one of the one of the beauties of writing and releasing your work is you never know who this can really connect and who this brings you to what uh, the energy you bring into the universe and mm -hmm. the energy that comes back from it. And I think there's yeah. something that's very powerful. Like, you know, I've experienced this in storytelling too and, and whatever I've shared and <clears throat> whatever writings that I've done in the past, it, it's, it can be quite cathartic in who you get connected to. And I hope that it's a good experience or a healing or a, Mm -hmm. um, a continued healing experience for you that can be expanded and and also I hope that it gives you the time to you know g again give yourself grace and the self-care that you need in this and I look forward to s hearing more about this work too because I I don't want to dive into the uh, into the specifics of the trauma I mm -hmm. I think what's more important is is just being able to navigate through your own writing and also how you you know work through it on a personal level and I hope that that is uh I hope that you are in a good position to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to say, like, in terms of your own family, your own relationship with your family, and how have they been in terms of supporting your work as a writer and as mm -hmm. an educator? What's what has that been like? Because oftentimes, as, as much as I really, really hate to even bring this up, <laughs> it annoys me. I already know. You know. It's <laughs> I already just, know. Yeah. I'm, I'll say this because I'm an English major. That should 
say enough about how <laughs> much my dad especially agreed on that quote unquote mm-hmm. um but i wanted to know what was their own response to that and and have they been supportive of the work that you're doing and are they understanding your approaches to your writing like writing in general yeah the writers yes, yes. oh yeah so i mean growing up they they were pretty supportive because like when I got into the Youth Houston team, we had practices at the downtown Houston library like three times a week. Um, that's like from where we live, that's like a 25 minute drive. So they would drive me there and pick me up. And they were very, they were very like, I understand why they'd be pissed off if like I didn't get out on time because we hit traffic. Um, so they, they support, I feel like they, they did support me. Um, in their in their in their own way and they drove me to practices they thought it was still a hobby though they thought i was still going to be a dentist mm. in the end but it was cool because um yeah after undergrad i uh when i got an ex- i got interviewed in, at a dental school and i was like this doesn't feel right and then i was like talking to my friend tony at waffle house and he was like you don't you shouldn't lie to yourself he learned that you know in undergrad and then listening to Mitski and she was telling me to follow my dream <laughs> so uh yeah and I decided to not be a dentist become a writer and then I remember that day I was in my room and I, I, I wrote a check uh for all like the help that my my parents gave me when like doing like uh wow. dental training like dental school dental test training and stuff like that wow so I had the check ready I walk downstairs to dinner. My sister's there. My mom was there. My dad's there. I'm like, I have to talk to y'all about something. <laughs> I think they thought I got someone pregnant, honestly. And I was like, hey, how, I'm, how old were you at the time? Uh, I just, I was just out of undergrad. So I guess I was like 22, 23. Mm, gotcha. And they're like, what? Wait, what is it? And um, I was like, hey, I, I'm not gonna be a dentist. It's not my passion. I'm gonna follow my my dream of being a writer. I think I can do it. I'm gonna apply to this MFA program within two weeks because that was all I had. And then surprisingly, my dad was really cool about it. He was like, you know, I'm glad you found this out now, or you so you would have wasted so much money in dental school. Wow. wow. <laughs> and then my mom started tearing up, and that caused my sister to tear up because she cries easily. But my mom was just afraid that like no one would love me as a writer. They thought like <laughs> no one oh would want to love a poor writer. So, you know, they 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 support me. You know, they support they they were my mom was crying because they she just wanted to make sure that I was loved. And Aww. but now like but I think they both aren't poets uh, supposed to love each other? Or is it just that there's so many beefs? Because I, I kind of see that it's either one or the other. Because I know when I interviewed Kathy Park Hong a while ago, she said that, yeah, poets are very petty to each po- other. Poets are petty and poets are lovers. But then there's also the saying that poets shouldn't date each other. <laughs> yeah. Tell so. Sylvia Plath that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but now, like, I mean, they're, they're supportive from a distance. Like, I don't think they, like, read my work. And I don't think they'll listen to this podcast, <laughs> but uh, sorry, Grandy. But, uh, oh, it's but okay. They, <laughs> but like, they asked me like, Neither with James Harden. <laughs> We're going to get James Harden to listen to this podcast. We're going to tag him. Oh, he can. 
<laughs> can't hold on my real feelings. No, but I think I mean they. I think they a lot. I my mom said as long as I eventually end up with health insurance, she'll, like she'll be fine. And has that been accomplished? I do have health insurance as a grad student. See, there you so. go. There you go. There's. It's not completely hopeless. So you know you're. Okay, you're they, they don't need like I don't, I don't mind that they don't read my work um yeah. i think they support me in their own way and i appreciate them for what they've done and honestly like if they don't then like it'll, it'll help with the conversations i don't have to have with them. <laughs> that's true it's, it's so, like my parents don't know that i have a podcast um yeah and i don't think oh, wait, they for real they don't Whoa. they do not i'm kind of like weird about opening up another part of me because like I feel like I live double lives I mean I am a Gemini I have two different mm -hmm. wavelengths and I think sometimes because a lot of the work that I do revolves around diaspora assimilation I feel like sometimes it hits too close mm -hmm. to the core for me yeah. to talk about that and also some of it comes from you know my relationship with my dad and and that struggle and I remember, I'm like, it's so great that your dad's so supportive and your mom too. Uh, and I know, like, I remember the first time I told my dad that I was going into journalism, I think I was arguing with him for like about a week. And mm -hmm. I was like, he wanted me to be a lawyer, which I probably would have been very good at that because I know how You're to a argue. Good lawyer. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm six foot tall. I know how to intimidate. You know, I, I, I hope that, that you would become a lawyer for James Harden in that, in that world. That'd be so cool, funny. Well, See what happens. I don't, know how, I, don't, I don't know what that would look like. To be honest with you. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can't defend, you know, like shooting bad three point shots. But um, so your dad wanted you to be a lawyer, and you're like, nah. yeah, no, I, I just couldn't see myself dealing with the stress of law school and having to mm -hmm. remember policies. And it's like this is not who I am. I thrive on creativity. I thrive on movement, and mm -hmm. and that doesn't work for me. And I wanted to go more into journalism which it was a struggle to you know get into i don't want to take up too much of my end but but yeah i think that that the refugee trauma their parents had to endure it conditions them to be like we've got to survive like this offspring right. of ours has to survive this time because mm -hmm. we couldn't do it this time we were robbed right. of it i like our our hopes now has to come through our children and eventually grandchildren like we and also stopping the uh the generational poverty you know that for that we are that our family had to go through yeah. uh leaving the homeland so yes i mean this is the only thing that they knew and understood would benefit us but realizing that it doesn't benefit our community as a whole i mean we were actually right. we do more damage to it but you know good for you for you know sticking to your guts and going for your writing and you're also going for your phd which i mm -hmm. think is even incredibly awesome and you are also teaching young folks and yeah. that's a, there's a lot to be proud of and i also want to say uh you talk I'm about also I'm, I'm also the sometimes the first asian like teacher that people have yeah i've learned especially here in mississippi and you will not be the last either <laughs> you know um but I also want to say, like, like, how has your experience been in Mississippi, like, um, especially as one of the few Asian folks on campus, and especially in your field? Mm -hmm. What has that been like in terms of having your uh, having the administrators and uh, department understand 
your work and not right. making it feel like it's tokenizing. Yeah, I think, I guess like starting off with just like the town of Oxford, Mississippi, which is a very lovely southern quiet like quaint town it's like a football it's like football town like Friday Night Lights but way prettier with like way better trees um there's not a lot of Asian just like probably I, I think it was like one point some percent Asian people here when I first came here it was very it was very like alienating and now I get looks at Walmart right looks mm -hmm. I say it looks today which I'm kind of just used to now mm -hmm. um but yeah I mean it felt very isolating to be living going from like texas or houston and austin right which like has heavy asian populations and moving to here where it's very like very black and white um so yeah i mean it was very like it was hard at first because i had to transition one into a brand new town and then also into a brand new program where i already felt like imposter syndrome to the hundredth degree um but I think, uh, I, I think in the town itself, at least there is like, and I, you know, just the idea of like Southern hospitality, there's like a Southern politeness, which like, I kind of, uh, I'm like familiar with from being in Texas. So at least like we have that. So it's like, it feels like if I am like getting like stared at, I'm getting stared at with like a smile or, or no, that's not creepy. or getting stared at with like <laughs> whipped cream or something. Um, but being the program itself, I love the program here. Um, I think I think I came here one because um, my mentor Amy Nizuka Matado is here, who is Asian American, and she loved this town. And she, mm. you know, she came from uh, uh, what's the Buckeyes? Ohio State University. Oh, I can't stand Ohio State, but that's fine. I can't. I don't need to. You hear that, Amy? You hear that, Amy? Randy Kid. <laughs> I do not. I remember rooting Amy Nezikamata, if you're listening. I remember rooting. Care. Yeah, I remember rooting for the Gators back in 2008 when they lost twice to, when, <laughs> when Ohio State lost twice in football and basketball. So. Dang. But yeah, she <laughs> I'm savage. I'm a savage. I'm a savage bitch. <laughs> yeah, Amy is a professor here, and you know Sorry. I knew that it's okay, but I knew I had Amy here, and then if she loved it and she could make it work I knew that I I could do it and I could always turn to her and she's been like a big help in my in my, my transition here um and I think when I came in we had a like I think we had like at least three or four other Asian or Asian American people in the English department which was nice and then up until like a, a few weeks ago my closest friends here who lives in my same complex Andy Sia who's a poet he, he was here and he would hang out with me and my roommate Noel all the time. Um, so like I, whenever I felt like very isolated, I would just like hang out with like the few Asian people in, in the English apartment, which was like fine with me. Um, I think tokenized, I felt that a lot in some of my classes. I think whenever, you know, whenever like there's an, we read Asian American poetry there's always like a professor who was like, Josh, what do you think? And then like, there's, and like asked me to like, kind of explain the Asian-ness of it all, which is like, you know, no one likes to be mm -hmm. uh, in that position. But that's like not, that's not, that's not like the entire experience I've had here. It's only like certain, certain people. Um, 
but but we know we just opened up a boba spot i think I've, we have a boba spot here opened up last year Wonderful. right across my street run by vietnamese people yeah we're actually seeing more of that even in the suburbs yeah. where i used to grow up well where i grew up is where i live now we're starting to creep up even more like in the suburbs so when you come to chicago to the suburbs there's a yeah. lot more coming oh. in that direction now to the point where i don't even need to go to chinatown or this <laughs> town to be honest with you it's like oh now that it's actually in my neck yeah. of the woods and they're actually decent <laughs> it was wild it was wild because i went inside it's called mean team i went inside the the boba spot for the first time it felt like i walked into a whole it felt like i walked into houston like i was in a houston boba shop i remember waiting in line and there was a, a vietnamese couple sitting down and they were talking shit about me in vietnamese oh, wow. <laughs> like, well they were like you think this do you think this kid this dude's korean like, do you think you understand this or something like that and like they were talking about my hair kind of like really bad bedhead at the time mm. they were making fun of my hair and i was like wow this feels like i'm at home like this is good <laughs> like people are shit talking me in my own language in Vietnamese, like I get that them. a lot. I get that a lot in, in <laughs> whenever I go to a Vietnamese restaurant or to a, sometimes to a Cambodian community among the elders. Yeah. Um, because I'm both mixed, and so they can't tell me apart. But when I lived in Korea, like for a few years, it was constant. Like when I would wear these glasses, yeah. they're like, "Oh yeah, they would think I'm more Korean," but they're like, "Yeah, but you're a little too dark." So. And, <laughs> yeah it was this constant reminder yeah. and it's like okay i get it you know i get it oh but that embrace... time like it was like the first time i i missed the asian judgment i was glad to see it because it felt like i was at home <laughs> yeah i just i think what i learned to do is i like to make people uncomfortable too when they make hmm. when they're trying to make me uncomfortable it's like okay well i like to point up and be like oh yeah i am and it's like i know that you're wondering if i'm such and mm -hmm. such but yeah i think you get to a point where you're like no we're gonna reclaim this like this yeah. is we are at who we are now and uh and we shouldn't feel shameful about how our becoming became and so yeah i thought you were from iceland i'm joking <laughs> yeah, no, yeah no kidding i mean i look like, kind of like a warrior so. <laughs> so i know one of the things that we had talked about earlier when you released uh the, the chat book is about queerness identity and mm -hmm. i know you were kind of navigating what that looks like for you now i want to know like as a writer and as as you're starting to become more um more um knowledgeable about the experiences mm -hmm. of queer identity through your own lens and through the experiences that you've had in in your own community what does that look like for you these days? And what, uh, and is it often a struggle for you to talk about uh, queerness in a way that makes you feel comfortable and secure? I think it's tough because I feel like I, I'm coming in late. Uh, and I think all my friends have kind of already established themselves in their queerness. Mm -hmm. And I also think I'm one of the few folks who are are really on like the asexual scale. I've actually been reading this really good book called Ace by Angela Chen. I just saw that actually. I um, do want to check that one out. It's because changing I... my life mm. uh, because it's really it's, she's re they really encompass like what I like thought about um, for a while. Um, so there's like I think there's a pressure 
because or just like some added stress because I'm, I'm coming in so late and also because I'm publishing and I'm going to be talking to people about this stuff and I'm I, and I'm I have to like figure out like the answers and like where I'm at in the moment and I guess like but it's kind of cool because like you know like when you watch like uh kid stars grow up on the tv screen mm-hmm. like Carl from The Walking Dead I feel right. like people are going to be like seeing me grow and like learn about myself as like I grow in like the the writing community which is kind of a cute cute and also scary thing to like think about (laughs) um yeah i just want to say this like when you talk about how late but like how late are we talking about because i I, and i don't want to i don't mean to put you on the spot there but i i think that that i think when we learn about what queerness means it's not a cut and dry it's not monolithic Mm -hmm. it's not a black or white issues like oh, I'm gay or I'm bisexual or I'm trans. I, there's so many different layers to that experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, it depends on how you were, the environment that you were brought up and what you were exposed to. And and sometimes we weren't exposed to this until we had to get out of our own a little box. Like right. I, I will tell you, I don't think I really, I don't think I really got a better sense of who I was until into my late 20s. And I'm mm-hmm. almost like I'm 38 now. And it, like my 30s, I'm much more secure about w- how I define myself and mm-hmm. and the narratives I talk about. But in my 20s, I was all over the place. And mm-hmm. I felt because I was all over the place, I was quite toxic, you know, to some of my own friends because I felt this anger, like, okay, mm-hmm. I did not know who or what I represented. My two, one of my close best friends is a white gay man who came out in his early twenties, and I thought that there was a difference. Like there's something right. that I could not quite understand or could quite uh, grasp in his own experiences because it's different than my experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to know, like, is do you feel that still weighing on you, like? Because I, I do think that you're still discovering. And I think the beauty of discovering is a wonderful thing. I mean, you learn about your own experience, about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's ever a deadline to say that you should figure it out by 30 years old. You should <laughs> kids by 40. I mean, yeah. I mean, we are throwing away what we were taught early on, mm-hmm. right? right? Like this idea that we should have grandkids by the time we were 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't plan on having kids. <laughs> told my mom that and she is fine with it but but those are things that we have to keep unlearning mm-hmm. because when we start to give in to this idea that we have to be defined by even our own communities our own lgbtq communities where mm-hmm. there is this this where there can be a disconnect but then we also have to realize that well no that this is the journey that i'm on and mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong to say, hey, um, I'm still processing. And right. and if this is something that works for me, then this is something that works for me. What I'm excited about, honestly, is in my second project, which is going to be like my, dis- my dissertation, um, is going to be, you're, like, you'll, you, you'll clearly see, I think, this idea of like discovering yourself in real time in the work. Um, I'm excited to like share that process through the writing because mm-hmm. I have so many ideas of like how to literally show like um, the fl- fluidity of it, 
of queerness and like how to um how to write about like um asexuality like in poetry um and i'm excited about like showing how like one can do it and how because i'm gonna do it a lot like right now the title is called gym theory and because i spent a lot like I, and i love like this idea of like uh subverting what we think of like the gym um and like this idea of like aesthetics and like whatever like that but using like the language of like the gym to explore like asexuality or demisexuality and like pansexuality is going to be like, a very exciting process which is like my next thing um so even if i don't have like the the knowledge or the language capacity to like talk about it right now like by the time that book comes out i'm excited to see how like the like the readers like respond to my perspective of discovering mm -hmm. like all of that within like that poetry book and i think that's gonna be a very very fun honestly very freeing book which i'm going to write the total opposite of come clean yeah and i think it can also deepen that too deepen those mm -hmm. connections and how people see themselves who are on that journey to discovering what that looks like for them mm -hmm. and how has your girlfriend been in terms of understanding your uh, understanding your identity and experiences and also with your family how how has that conversation been like and was it something that you were often very concerned with because of the idea that am i really being authentic am i really shortchanging this am i lying mm -hmm. to myself am i deserving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of this love you know it's it's complicated because i know i've been in these relationships where i've been all over the place yeah. and never quite so sure for my family i mean they got the chat book and they they were very shocked on the on the back by a winter bisexual so like they 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 know i'm thinking about queerness and my mom called me and she asked me about it she was like wait it says you're bisexual so, i mean <laughs> like you can be attracted to both men and women I'm like yep and she's like okay and then that was it and I mean they don't you know I think that's gonna be it like they're not gonna talk about it which is fine I don't think that's I, the same. I, one that's good thing same. about yeah, one good thing about coming in late is that like I kind of don't need a lot of like gratification from certain people like I don't really no. need which is kind of nice I think that's the beauty of it when I was coming out more late because I at that point I wasn't worried about whether I was going to get disowned or kicked out of the house. Yeah. I was, I already had my group of friends. I already know who I roll with. And mm -hmm. I remembered, I think this is like one of my favorite moments when, I, when my mom asked me, because my brother was like calling me because I was about to pick my mom up. And my brother was like, oh, I got to tell you something. My mom was like, mom's asking, like, is it because Randy Gay is like, and you know, and Tony, like my brother Tony was trying to like soften her up a little bit. and prepare her and I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna be one of those kinds of rides <laughs> to the <laughs> supermarket. And then she asked me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Um, <laughs> and then it's like, are you mad? And then she said no. And then like five minutes later, I was like, well, I'll stay, stay home so I can make you some egg rolls. So okay. <laughs> I think if, if my mom brings it up, I'll just be like, don't worry, I'll have health insurance. <laughs> and I'll have health insurance. You know, like I told him, um, I told my, I, I told myself like a couple years ago if i were to write a short story it would be called gay gross <laughs> so that's amazing yeah <laughs> i know but, right uh... it's like yeah i mean <laughs> i come out and i get egg gross with that shit so. 
Um, but, but anyways, but I, yeah. I do want to say, but then also, like, my roommate's been oh, great. My roommate, Noel Quinones, like, he's mm -hmm. a writer, and he's been, like, teaching me just, like, through how he, like, lives and, like, walks through the world, how to be okay with, like, expressing oneself in whatever colors that may be, and, like, how to, like, love yourself because he's i mean he's an aries right so he's very like fired up and like oh i'm a rising aries rising oh, yeah? baby mm -hmm. but i'm totally not that but it's great like he's you know he reminds me of how to like how to love oneself and how to like celebrate oneself um and then yeah my partner my girlfriend elissa she's like been really supportive and like she has been with me um you know as, a, as i've been like discovering my queerness and like my and I've been talking to her about like Angela Chen's um ace book on asexuality um so she's been really supportive and like really like open to like any conversation um like to have with me about it that is so really awesome I'm I have really like glad. my very loving uh community here just nice uh -huh. yeah I think that's really amazing that you have that little community in your own uh in your own space and mm -hmm. you know just uh just thinking about how much power that holds to what you want to explore and the possibilities that are out there and what you're learning from the people that you surround yourself with mm -hmm. you know so i also want to say that uh i know that you want to share a okay. poem so i would like for you to you know give space to that but yeah give us a little bit of a, a taste of what it's about so yeah, this is actually um, this poem I wrote because my thesis advisor, Amy Nizuka Matata, was like, you don't write any like good positive poems about yourself. <laughs> you should try that and see how that works. So I did. And I also wanted to write a pantu, which is like a poetic form with like specific, specific repetition. Like, okay, I'll write a positive poem about myself and I'll write in a pantu. And then I wrote it, I was in Houston and my other mentor, Lupe Mendez was like, I was like, hey, should I read this new poem? Lupe was like, yeah, you should read it. Or he kind of peer pressured me into reading it because Lupe was like, you never talk nice about yourself. So you have to read this. So mm -hmm. he made me read it uh, at this reading. It was very nice and cathartic to, to listen to listen to myself read these, these lines that like, you know, that's like in praise. Um, anyways, it's it's after um, one of my favorite activities, just getting my eyebrows threaded. I love getting my eyebrows threaded. <laughs> I think one because it's like the one one of the few things of like self care and self beauty that I care about about myself, mm. and also love the idea of like there's pain involved, mm. but like you have to oh, go through the pain to like get get to get like the nice eyebrows. There's yeah. like a sacrifice in the moment. I have never done my eyebrows, but you know what you do for self care? I've gotten. I got really addicted to buying uh, the Fenty skincare starter. Oh, yeah, uh -huh. nice. I'm, all, I'm, I'm basically helping Rihanna become a billionaire. You know? <laughs> Rihanna, if you're listening, uh, give Randy some some that uh, serum some toner water. <laughs> that serum toner water would be really nice. I need a lifetime supply of that. <laughs> but yeah, this is a poem. Basically, um, you know, I'm talking about like this is from Come Clean. It's one of like the more positive poems of Come Clean, but it still has like the you know has like a the idea of the quotidian and the domestic um, when talking about like eyebrows. So this is a pantoum, and the title is "In Praise of My Threaded Eyebrows," and it's after 
Amy Nezuka Matado's poem, In Praise of My Manicure. In praise of thread, doubled and twisted, a helix love affair between beauty and pain, tension of pulled skin, friction in the form of heat, praise the two hands which grasp my hair's execution. Not far behind beauty is pain, the tension of pulling rows of caterpillar legs from the dirt, using the hands of gravity's air to perfect execution, leaving its chrysalis behind. Farewell, caterpillars resting below the acne of my forehead. Hello, shiny sleek queens arched with a crown full of crystals. Behind the throne, a curtain made of nylon, yanked apart across my forehead. I fall in love with a yellow sleep queen trimming the hedge above my nose, curtailing made from neon, yank a part of my body on the edge of the salon, stretched, trimmed, and hedged, and before I know it, there are parts of me that see again. The edge of the salon outstretches its arms, doubled, twisted, helix love of praise and thread. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> what a treat. And also, gotta say, I love the vividness of it too. I love how you described uh, minute by uh, second by second from it. Mm -hmm. And I like the caterpillar reference. Too, so. <laughs> I also, up. and also, as I start to wrap up, I want to ask you. So, if you were to tell your, I'm gonna pick an age. If you were to <laughs> your, I do this for a lot of my guests as of late. And yeah. if you were to tell your 18 year old self, what would you tell that version? Um, I'll tell them to follow your dream, follow your passion, um, follow your gut. Um, I would say to relax a bit and it's a, in the, I would probably tell them that I love that you care so much for others, but also to think about yourself more. Cause I think 18 year old self would be an RA at the moment. And <laughs> I'll tell them to, you know, question everything, explore yourself, and don't be afraid to uh, express yourself. And I'll tell them to try the oolong tea. Mm. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Good <laughs> advice there. Good advice there. <laughs> I want to say, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on to my show. I've really been just so honored to have gotten to know you for the past yeah, for year me. and a half and really been a witness to your to your writings and mm -hmm. and also learning more about you on a personal level. And and I and cannot rockets, wait in the Rockets Lander. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I like to show you every now and then. But now that Harden's gone, I may not be so tough on you, you mm -hmm. know. Maybe about other teams like the Astros, you know, <laughs> cheated. Yeah, yeah. The World Series. Yeah. And you still got to figure out how, what you're going to do with Deshaun Watson. Oh, Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but I'll be anyways, easy. Anyways, but I'll, but I'll be saying, easy. Anyway, you're saying nice things. You're saying That's, nice things. I'm, I'm being kind of pleasant. I mean, I'll be nice. <laughs> I'm curious to know who they're going to pick in that second, in that yeah. in that draft. So there's hope. and. Mm -hmm. And I do like Hakeem Olajuwon, by the way. I do think he's one of my favorite centers. So oh, nice. I'll, Shout out. I'll be very... Hakeem Olajuwon, if you're listening, we are both big fans. I, I do like that <laughs> dream shake. And yeah, I, I I love this game. I I mean, I'm a big NBA 
playoff fan, and I'm glad to see Chris Paul in the NBA Finals Shout too. Out. Yeah, yeah. Chris Paul. So I I want to say thank you so much for doing this, and I really want to wish you the best of luck in releasing Come Clean. I cannot wait to grab to grab my copy of it, and I hope that the conversations that you will have with so many folks mm-hmm. in your tours and do reading your book, I hope that it will give you a sense of 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 um, I don't know what's the right word, but but uh but all the experiences that you hope to fulfill and mm-hmm. and then some so thank you again my friend appreciate it thank you and also shout out um i taught uh, intro to career writing this past semester and i assigned uh randy's interview with kathy park hong and most of my students listened to it and loved it so thank shout you. out to thank to you te- for to being in the ears of the my students thank you so much and now <laughs> i think she's officially like my highest rated hey <laughs> But anyways, thank you again, my friend. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening. And be on the lookout for future episodes. So follow me on The Bunby Chronicles on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Instagram at bunby underscore chronicles. Thank you again. And looking forward to sharing more with you.